0: Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is almsgiving and fasting. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up those knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and it is my honor to serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon.
1: And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so let's start with what is almsgiving and fasting, although I think we can pretty much Get the fasting part
0: of it. But alms is a funny word. Start there. Alms is a very funny word. So these are two of the three traditional ways in which you observe Lent. Okay. So observe not in the way of like, hey, look, there it is. But... (laughs) (laughs) Participation (laughs) of some sort. Exactly. Observe in the sense of participating and doing something around these days of Lent. So Lent is this time where we're leading up to Easter and we work on some spiritual disciplines, things to make us more aware of our faith in our daily lives. And so the first of these is prayer. And we talked about prayer in the last couple of podcasts, including on our podcast on yarn. That was also kind of a prayer podcast. It was. And thank you to those who listen to us babble about yarn. I got some feedback from a member and I loved hearing about your hobby too. So it's all fair. Absolutely. And these two, alms giving and fasting, are two additional ways that we do this. So an alm is a form of money. Okay. Right? It's a small amount of money. And so alms giving is about giving away of money and giving charity money or solidarity money if you want to think of it that way. Okay. However you invest your money outside of yourself in your own well being is alms giving. And then fasting is refraining from something. Okay. Not necessarily food. It doesn't have to just be food. It could be something else. Okay. So the first time I observed Lent in my life, I fasted from unnecessary spending. Oh, interesting. I was in college and really struggling with trying to learn how to manage money. And I had been really, really hangry and they were giving away credit cards in the basement. If you As signed up for a credit do. card, they'd give you a Snickers bar. Oh, it nice. was like the origin of the Snickers commercial, right? And this is the 90s when they were trapping us all in here. So I had gotten myself a credit card and was on the path toward not great spending. And so for Lent, my first Lent, I gave up all unnecessary spending.
1: Now, this giving up thing, I don't remember... In the Lutheran tradition, as much as I think of it as a Catholic
0: thing. And since I didn't grow up in the church, I don't know. Okay. And I had heard of giving something up for Lent probably from the cultural sure knowledge of it through Catholicism. And Lutherans talk about it plenty now. Lots of Lutherans talk about giving things up for Lent. Or a lot of times now people will talk about picking something up for Lent. Okay. And trying something new for Lent instead of giving it up. One of the challenges that I loved during seminary was my teaching parish pastor. His was, why don't you give up guilt for Lent? You're really bad at (laughs) it anyway. Give up guilt for Lent and see what that does to your demeanor and your ability to feel close to God. Fascinating. So there are lots of different ways to do this, right? You don't have to just give up something that seems obvious, like chocolate, soda, coffee, coffee alcohol. caffeine, alcohol, swearing, unnecessary spending, guilt, right? You, you can pick up tasks, mm-hmm. writing letters, daily thankfulness, different pieces like that. The objective in these practices is to try to make your faith be something that you think about on a daily basis okay. and not just on Sundays.
1: Okay, that makes sense. So
0: that's fasting. Let's get to the alms giving. So alms giving is that opportunity to give away what you already have. Right? So giving extra money in the plate on Sunday perhaps, or finding a charity or a group, a nonprofit agency that matches your passions and giving to them. Or really challenging yourself and giving away your money without being discerning about how you give it out. Just uh, how so? giving it to someone on the street corner, giving it to the first charity that shows up in your Facebook feed, giving it to going on to GoFundMe and funding the 18th one on the list. You could be random about it just to practice that act of generosity, that act of not having to know where your money is going. My eyebrows are raised for this because for
1: somebody who has lived within a pretty tight budget for so long, doing something that I don't want to say unintentional, but doing something random seems just wildly reckless to me. Yeah. And I'm not sure that would necessarily bring me closer to God and that feeling. <laughs> I hope that doesn't make me a bad person. Not at all.
0: (laughs) Not at all. It doesn't make you a bad person at all. The reason why I offer it there as an idea is because in North American culture, we have such a strong attachment to controlling our money. Oh, yes. And the idea of being that reckless with our funds, especially when you've been living on a budget, when you're living really close and tight with your budget, Mm Mm-hmm. It's hard and it's scary and it seems silly and it seems wasteful to not pay attention, right? Mm -hmm. However, part of the point of almsgiving is to work on trusting God and the Holy Spirit to provide for you and trusting that God and the Holy Spirit will do what is needed to be done with that money. And part of almsgiving is also to help us let go of the control that money has over our lives. Mm-hmm. And so when we're random about our giving, random and generous enough that it slightly hurts and makes us a little scared, mm-hmm. you would be so surprised at the grace and the blessings that pour down. I don't know, man. The cynical part of me
1: for so long has been all the same way. It comes up when we talk about some of the saints and monks and nuns. It's like that vow of poverty is great, but if you can't feed yourself, how can you help others?
0: It's so hard. And I think this is where like tithing comes in, right? Mm -hmm. So a tithe is giving 10% of what you earn away. And that whole idea of tithing, especially when you haven't done it yet, Is really, really hard. And it feels like this prescription that you're supposed to do this thing because people say that you should be tithing Mm because this is what the Bible says you're supposed to do. As someone who at various different points in my life has been able to tithe and has not tithed, Mm -hmm. and I won't say that I wasn't able to tithe during those times, I will say that I chose not to tithe during those times. Mm -hmm. I cannot explain how I live so much more abundantly when I am tithing than when I am not. Oh, that's interesting. I can't explain it because I think you just have to experience it. Okay. And it's so hard to go from not tithing to choosing to tithe and getting there Mm -hmm. is really, really hard and In the times when I have chosen to tithe, I have never once regretted it. Interesting. And I feel more secure, more grounded, and more stable financially when I am tithing than when I am not. And maybe that's because I've had less during the years when I haven't tithed and I couldn't meet my bills if I tithed. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I wasn't tithing. And so there was an absolute economic disparity there. And I tithe when I have enough to pay my bills mm-hmm. and then have enough to still be able to tithe and meet my bill commitments. And at the same time, there is such a difference in my own attitude towards money
1: mm-hmm.
0: when I'm giving away 10% of it as a household. And it's so exciting to get to give the money away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The way that we do it in my household is the 10% off of my salary goes back to the church and that's our tithe to the church. And then the 10% from my spouse's salary, the two of us discuss how we're going to use that. Sometimes it comes back here to central and sometimes it goes to GoFundMe projects Mm -hmm. or to individuals that we know who are in need of something, or it goes to, you know, another organization that is calling to my spouse's heart. So- We use that opportunity to have that conversation, but it's so exciting when we have the money that we get to find a new home for. And it feels so freeing to have money that we can say, we get to do something good with this in the world. We don't have to pay a vet bill or keep the lights on with this. We get to just make the world a better place with this money.
1: I do very much enjoy that part of what my family does around the holidays is we do find some way to give to charities and we let the kids choose some and we choose some and it's it really is a very uplifting experience and now that i am realizing that almsgiving is part of this whole easter thing as well i see no reason not to have that as a new tradition
0: right around easter along with that basket right I think it's just it's an interesting way to get us out of ourselves. And I think part of it is because North Americans have such such an odd relationship with our money. Oh I mean, yes. I don't know that it's just North Americans, but I know that we have such a hard relationship with our money. And I think that many of us of our generation and those who are younger than us, especially those of us who have struggled with student debt, And with the collapse of the housing market right as we entered into it, Mm -hmm. you know, I, along with many others, got hit with that with a foreclosure and a bankruptcy right in that big collapse because I bought my first home right at the wrong time. Oh, that hurts. Right. Bad. So, you know, I've got another three or four years before my bankruptcy clears my credit report and I can even start to consider to buy again. So. Those of us who are living in that kind of a space and in this kind of a place, we have a hard relationship with money. That's very, very real. It's always
1: been a topic that I think people find touchy along with religion and politics.
0: And that's why it's so important when you're taking time for specific spiritual practices to involve money in that practice. Sure. If you can't talk about it comfortably, then chances are there's part of it that's controlling you. This is an opportunity during this month and a half to really take that time to think about what are those things that you allow to control you and how can you take that control and give it to God? You know, I would say take that control back. But in this time, it's actually take that need for control and give it back to God and let God take control of that issue. And so when we pray, we take the things that we're afraid about and we're anxious about and we give those to God. When we're fasting, we take those things that control us, whether it be food or whether it be poor spending choices or whether it be alcohol or caffeine, those things that control us and we give those over to God and get rid of them. And with almsgiving, it's that money, it's that need to control what we have been given so we feel like we have enough and giving that away so God can show us that God will provide enough and it will be okay. So, with these three disciplines, is this something
1: that Jesus came up with? Is it specifically called out in the Bible or does it
0: go back further? It's not in the scripture. Okay. These are practices that came from the early church. Now, okay. you know, giving of alms and being generous and those kinds of pieces well, that just seems... and fasting, it's part of religion. Yeah. You can find it in pretty much any religion, in the same way you can find prayer in every religion. I think that the church took this time specifically to focus on these things because, one, it's a good length of time, right? So, mm-hmm. how long does it take before, if you're doing an exercise program, before you actually begin to see results? Sure, sure, four sure. Four to six weeks, right? Things become habit. You can practice something, but you really get a habit ingrained after you've been doing it regularly for about four to six weeks. Four to six weeks, right? So this is four to six weeks is how long Lent lasts. It lasts six weeks. And so this is a really good time period in which to create a new habit. 40 days is a good time amount to start a new practice and to form a new habit. And so I think we have this opportunity in the year. And it's also, if you think about it, 40 days minus the Sundays, it's a tithe of the year. 365 days in the year, 40 days, 36 days, take out the Sundays. It's a tithe of your year. And so you're tithing the year to particularly focus on practices. And it comes through church tradition. But I think the Holy Spirit had quite a bit to do with getting us to this point. Sure.
1: So why limit it to a season, though? Why not just make it something that you do all year?
0: But why not? I'm asking. (laughs) I think it's a fair question. I think that there are lots of people that once you start something, like once you've picked up the pattern during Lent, it's a good opportunity to try it. Just keep it it going. And then it keeps going. So that's the hope? I think
1: in some ways it can be. Well, I suppose it has a better chance. Unlike a New Year's resolution, which tends to get broken within the first four to six days, and let alone four to six weeks, Right, you might actually have a chance of making some positive changes
0: stick if you can stick with it for the 40 days. And that's the challenge, is actually sticking through and sticking with it for those 40 days. Yeah.
1: Because as a kid, there's just nothing but resentment about the fact that I had to do these things. <laughs> it was never anything positive. And
0: I think that that's how it is for a lot of people. I think there's a lot of resentment that gets pulled into this. And in some ways, that's one of the ways that people are motivated to make it to the 40 days. Mm -hmm. And if you can get past the resentment and find the benefit of it, then maybe you have a practice change that actually sticks with you beyond Lent. And a lot of times, maybe you don't. I still struggled with spending after that first Lent. I struggled with it less, but I still struggled with it. But I remember that practice. I remember that Lent more than any other in my lifetime. Do you look forward to this every year? I have probably not given something up for Lent in at least the last five years. Yeah, I stopped
1: once I converted to Lutheranism. Yeah. Although to be fair and to be brutally honest, I probably didn't do it really even when I was a Catholic. (laughs) I'm not sure I made it the full 40 days for anything.
0: I think for myself... It's the same way in Advent, right? I love these seasons. They're beautiful seasons. They're very busy seasons when you work in the church. Mm -hmm. And so I try, instead of giving something up, I try to take on a little bit more self-care. Okay. That makes sense. And try to take on like being really intentional about creating space for personal prayer and creating space for personal participation in my own faith and not just public leadership of it. And so that, for myself, is where I head towards in Lent and Advent, and that's mainly because I'm a public, professional, religious person, that sometimes my own faith practices take second seat to making certain that the community is doing things. So in these seasons, I kind of try to focus back in on my own faith journey. Excellent. Okay, last
1: question. Is there anything you would never give up? Ooh, good Mm -hmm. question
0: what would I never give up sleep? Well, that's just smart. (laughs) Can I say sleep, sleeping a lot, sleeping a lot. Okay. Like letting myself have seven to 10 hours of sleep. If I have the opportunity. Yeah. And I don't think that I could give that up because I can function on four to six hours if I have to but it's really not, it's not ideal, not ideal. So every now and then I feel guilty when I have like a night where I've slept nine to 10 hours. Oh, that just sounds heavenly, right? Doesn't <laughs> it sound amazing? And then I'm like, no, I need that to recharge and to continue to maintain health. And so when there are days when I do that, yeah, it's luxurious and it could probably be seen as a little gluttonous in some ways, but slothful. But I think that, makes it so that I am able to hold and carry space in hard places when I've had that. So, yeah, I don't think I would give that up ever. Excellent. Well, thank you,
1: Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about almsgiving and fasting. I look forward
0: to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for joining us. I pray that you are having a blessed Lent and that you are finding ways to connect with God in this time. You can always catch up with us on Facebook as well as listen to our podcast on iTunes. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a question or a comment or suggestion for future podcasts, feel free to email us at podcast at centralportland.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.